Welcome into episode 11 of Real Estate Convos with Jake and Steve. My name is Jake Boucher. And I'm Steve Boucher. And thank you for watching or listening to this podcast episode. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about, do you want to be a landlord? Because it's a lot of responsibility that comes with being a landlord, no matter what state you're in, but some states are have stricter rules than others, as we'll probably get into at some point. If not in this episode, maybe we'll do a part two, just like we did for... Um, the last two episodes. But anyway, I kind of want to jump right into it. And I actually, my dad right here has was a landlord back in the day. And I kind of want to get his opinion real quickly. If, well, like, what are, the, what are the few of the pros and cons of being a landlord? In your opinion, would you recommend it or... Uh, it, it's, it all comes down to your personality and it all comes down to your per- particular situation. Um, it, it's a unique niche in the market and it definitely has a lot of opportunity to grow an empire, a real estate empire if you choose to do so. But it does come with a lot of liability. It comes with a lot of uh, legal potential issues. Uh, But however, that can all be structured and fixed right from the get-go if you do it right. So I would recommend if if you're in a position where you could do it, to definitely do it. But you got to do it right. So it just sounds like it's uh, based on that person's personality, if they can handle it. If we actually have that written down for our notes for this episode. Correct. And with that, we're gonna get into the meat of the episode, what we kind of plan for this episode, which is qualification, single family, multifamily. All right, so many people, uh, first time buyers especially, uh, they have limited budgets, limited means, they've never gone through the process before, they're already gonna be overwhelmed. But with today's current market here in mid 2021, uh, post or- Four months, four and a half months left of this year. Four and a half months left to this year, we're still, um, our pandemic is still around, but it's still a very strong market. It is starting to taper a little bit, which is a good thing. However, uh, properties are still flying off the market faster than typical. There is not a lot of inventory. So if you're a buyer and you're trying to keep up or find a property and you're just being outbid left and right or they're a little over your budget for a single family now, multifamily, two-family, three-family may be a good way to go. There are still a lot of pockets of our central mass market uh, where you can find a multi that isn't moving as fast that you can actually negotiate on that a single family wouldn't last in. Um, So it might be an option. If you're really desiring to be in a home ownership position, then a multi is probably a pretty good way to to go or at least look into. And we already mentioned personality, so kind of talk about that a little bit more and maybe a little bit more detail. Okay, well, first of all, the second you become a landlord, whether it's a two-family that you live in or a three-family that you don't live in, the second you decide you're going down that road, you take on a lot of responsibility and you take on a lot of headaches. It all comes back to A, your personality, and B, the property, C, your budget. If, If you're the type of person that doesn't like conflict, landlording might not be for you directly but there are alternatives. If you are in a position where you need to go in this direction because of your budget, if you set it up correctly and you get yourself a good real estate attorney who hopefully has access to a landlord attorney, landlord tenant, they know the laws in and out in your area, and you have a pretty good tax accountant, you can circumvent a lot of the problems. Um, Then it comes down to financing. So your personality and your qualifications to become a, a landlord to begin with is one thing. If you can buy the property and renovate it, 
so that there's already no issues. Here in Massachusetts, lead paint is still a pretty big issue. Most of the properties in Massachusetts are over 50 years old, so they're old enough to have potentially lead paint. There are lead paint laws. You need to figure that out. You need to have the building tested. You need to have the building cleaned before you should even rent it to anybody because you don't know who's moving in after the fact. So the personality of dealing with these issues and this liability all begins before you even buy the property. Have a good home inspection, have a good lead paint test, make sure it's in your budget. And if it's not in your budget, maybe a 203K where you can borrow an FHA loan plus some renovation money on top of that. As long as you qualify for it, it's a viable program. You get yourself in the property, you get it cleaned up, you get it certified. If there's a bad furnace, if there's old windows, if their kitchen needs help, whatever, you can get into that, fix it, clean it, so you won't have future tenant problems. Getting up in the middle of the night for a running water or leaking toilet is not fun. Being called in from a distance is less fun, but if the property makes sense, you can always hire a property manager, somebody that knows what they're doing, and that takes all the weight off your shoulder. If you have a good attorney, they can circumvent lack of payment, contracts, they can circumvent a lot of that. So personality, it's not for everybody, I agree with that, but it's one heck of a good business process if you are up for the challenge. Being a landlord, you gotta know the, the laws and regulations, I think. Absolutely. So would you, obviously, would you recommend that someone studies the rules and the regulations before they even think about it. I mean, I'm sure some Absolutely. people just, just go right into it without really researching the, the regulations and stuff. Uh, well, yeah, they, they, when you buy real estate, especially first-time home buyers, you, it's an emotional process. You live and dream at the end of your, you know, the sleeves on your shirt, your hat's out there in front. It's an emotional process. But like we've said in multiple episodes, and it's going to close out our argument today, it all comes up to your team. You need a qualified team. You need one hell of a good real estate agent. You need a good attorney. You need a good accountant. You need, a, you know, all of these people behind you. You need a home inspector or a contractor you trust that can go through the building and tell you if it's something that's worthy and structurally sound or something that needs a lot of work or, you know, because that all adds up to budget. Everybody thinks I'll buy it as a dump and I'll put weekends into it and we'll fix it. Well, the reality is when you become a landlord, it doesn't work that way. You have other families living in the property today or soon after, so you have money to pay the rent or the mortgage. They're living in this condition now, and they shouldn't. One call to the Board of Health, one call to the Building Department, one call to the Zoning Department, one call to uh, Inspectional Services for some way, shape, or form. Child goes to the doctor, child goes to to school, and they're lead-infected. Any of these issues can come back to haunt you in a heartbeat. So you're always better off fixing the property and getting it in top shape before anybody lives in it or as soon as you take it over. Make sure professionals are doing the right job. They're certified and licensed to do the work. So, yeah, laws and regulations. There's fair housing, which is federal. There's, there's you know, um, chapter 93A, fair housing. You can't discriminate in any way, shape, or form. There's rules and regulations for when a landlord can enter a property or not enter a property maintenance requirements, uh, escrow, rent control. Uh, there's so many different angles and loops and laws, regulations that uh, encompass multifamily um, that you are definitely going to get an education. 
get on your state website. And again, if you have team members, a good attorney, they can recommend books, websites, pamphlets from the state maybe, um, on what can be done, what can't be done, what your responsibilities are, and uh, make sure you're covering all the bases before you jump into this. Make sure you have a plan. And I'll say it for as long as this podcast goes on, do your research. Because it's going to be a thing that saves you in the end. Absolutely. You have the choice when you when you when you're in, when you're a landlord. You could choose to live there, or you could choose to live off site. So kind of, I mean, it, it, what, do you save money when you live there, or does it depend on this certain situation? It, it depends on the property, the circumstance, the type of house. Um, if 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 you're a first time buyer and you want to have real ownership, well, then you live there absolutely. If you choose to live on the second or third floor which is more work to bring groceries and children and diaper bags and all that stuff up and down furniture when you move in and move out. Uh, there's work to be on the third floor, but that's usually the cheaper rent and you can charge more rent on the first and second floors, which helps your cash flow. Many, many times in my career, I've seen people be able to buy a multifamily and only contribute a couple hundred dollars a month to the actual mortgage insurance and utilities. The rents pretty much pay for the whole building. The second you move out, it becomes a profit margin if you choose to keep it as an investment property. And it's a great stepping stone if you want to become an investor down the road. But yeah, whether you live there or not, if you live there, you know when they abandon a vehicle or they bring in a puppy or, you know, a German Shepherd. They know, you know, when they're bringing in their neighbor's laundry and they're making a business using your water and your machines. If you live there, you know when they're partying past midnight, you know when they're doing stupid things. So you're on top of it more. The second you move offsite, now it's up to the neighborhood or it's up to the people in your building to be calling you or the police because there's problems going on. Because once you move offsite, it's a different game. You have to so rely on the goodness of other people. You have to rely on the goodness of other people. And again, part of your team could be knowing two or three neighbors immediately near your building to keep an eye on it for you. You don't know what's going on 24-7. They live there. They do. So it's good to know the neighborhood. It's good to know some people in the area and they can drop a dime. Hey, your building was rowdy last night. Hey, they brought two cars in and put them up on blocks. There's no engines in them. What's going on? All these little things are the, re the responsibility of the landlord. Abandoned vehicles. I have had certified letters from the city saying to get a car out of my, my property, which I didn't live at, didn't even know it existed, uh, the, the car I mean, uh, because it's abandoned, it's not registered, it's not insured, the neighbors consider it a nuisance. But the tenants don't get that letter. The landlord does because it's their piece of land. So I have to figure out what's going on and tow the vehicle off site or repair it or whatever, or figure out who owns it. There's a multitude of things. So just little things like that can be a nuisance. That goes back to personality if you're up to that challenge. But to do it right, I think it's one heck of a hell of a business plan. Yeah, I agree. I, I personally don't know. I don't think I want to be a landlord. I'll just hire a property manager like we've discussed. Well, you're still the landlord. You just have professionals yeah, managing just, it for I don't want to have the day-to-day -day task of that and that stress that comes with that. Yeah. That's just me. That's my personality. Contracts. Contracts are everywhere in real estate. You can't, you can't move on in real estate without a contract in place. So kind of talk about the construction of the contracts for being a landlord. Okay, when you're buying a property that's a single family, you basically say, here's my offer, I'm willing to pay X, I need this for financing, it needs to appraise at this. That's the deal, nice and easy. But when you start dealing with tenants, and you're buying a multifamily, the contracts can get much, much, much deeper. Um, how long have the tenants been there? Do you want to run your own credit checks on them? Do you want verification they've been paying the rents on time? 
Do they have a waterbed? Do they have pets? Do they, you know, have they, do they have children? Are they pregnant? Are they due to have pregnant? You know, who's in the building with them? Anybody over 18, do they sign the application for the rental so that they're all individually responsible? So if mom and dad don't pay the rent, but there's a 20-year-old son that lives there, he's also responsible. You know, so there's different people you can go after. That's all part of the structure of your offer. That's all part, part of your structure of your leasing agreements. All of that little stuff can be done at point of purchase. Escrow deposits, if there's they're holding a last month's rent, do you want that to come to you? Do you want it go back to the tenants? If it goes back to the tenants, we start a whole new agreement from square one after I do the application and credit checks and background checks, then it starts over with me the day I own it. It goes on and on and on. Are there laundry machines? Who's able to come in? Who's able to go out? Quiet time. Leases and, and purchasing contracts can, can really get involved. So again, it comes back to your team. It comes back to having a good attorney that knows what they're doing. We keep saying that team. The, the, team's, the team is huge. And money, you mentioned escrow. When, when you're talking escrow money, you're talking, okay, so... If it's a three family. I'm going to move into the third floor. That means there's going to be two tenants. Nobody lives there right now. I fixed the building. It's in tip top shape. I'm getting top dollar. Somebody's moving into the first and second floor. Do I want the first month's rent before I ever give them the keys? Absolutely. First month's rent is just that. The second they give it to you, it's non-refundable. You give them the keys, whether they move in or not, that's their problem. They paid their first month's rent. Do you want a last month's rent? A lot of landlords want last month's rent. But it's exactly that. It's last month's rent. So some landlords want to try to cash that in and say, it's my money. And when it comes three years from now, when they say, hey, we're giving a notice, there's no money to pay that last month because the landlord spent it. A lot of landlords like to professionally account for it because it's not doing payable for three years or whenever they move out. So escrowing it, putting it in an account where you don't touch it is one thing. Escrow also for the, for the security deposit. If, if they have a security deposit and you, you want to protect your building from damage and they left it full of trash and you have to pay somebody to get the trash out, that can be charged to the landlord, uh, to the tenant, but you have to have the money. But it's not your money. It's still their money. If they move out and the building's crystal clear, clean, you have to give them their money back. So in the meantime, you can't touch their money. It's their money. You're just holding it as part of the qualification process and the, and the lease process. So you, your last month's rent and your security month's rent should go into a savings account. On behalf of the tenant, it's held until, well, annually you have to account for it, but it has to be held until they finally do move out, if they move out, uh, and be fully accountable. So it's very important, and states have strict rules. I know Massachusetts has strict rules about it. So That could be an episode in itself one day, Massachusetts yeah. rules. Yeah. So most people go in the real estate for the financial freedom, especially with the, the real estate investing. So kind of like, I mean, if you do it right, you can make unlimited unlimited amounts of money if you really do it right and have that team in place as well have your team in place financial freedom if, if you are not afraid if you're a contractor have connections family members have connections whatever it may be uh, it's definitely a venue and an avenue where you can make a lot of money it's called passive income because once you clean up the building have it in tip chop shape the rent the rents at market level if they're making po- positive income which why would you own it if it's not making positive income you have write-offs, you have equity appreciation, you have potential to refinance and cash out, you have monthly cash flow, you have tax, you have, it, it, there's so many benefits to owning real estate. 
especially when they cash flow like a multifamily. So I think it's definitely a great idea to look into, but just make sure you're the right person for that. Amen to that. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. Leave the leave a thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel down below by hitting that red button. Turn on post notifications so you get notified whenever there's a new video as soon as it's posted. Subscribe, review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And we will see you for episode 12 next week. Thank Bye-bye. you.